Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Wendy Lund is a women's health advocate, advisor, and activist with more than 30 years of experience in marketing and communications. After working at Planned Parenthood, the National League of Nursing, and some of the country's leading healthcare communications firms, Wendy joined Organon, the largest women's health company of its kind. As chief communications officer, she's working to change how women's health is approached, treated, shaped, and especially talked about. In this conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer, Wendy gets into her career history, how to merge your passion and purpose with your career, and how the movie Aaron Brockovich inspired her approach to leadership. Without further ado, here is Organon CCO Wendy Lund. Wendy, hi, it's nice to see you. I'm excited to speak with you here today. Paul, so excited to be with you here today. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, um, we're excited to hear everything you have to share. So let's just go ahead and dive in. And I, I thought that maybe um, we could start by talking a little bit about your career path, um, which led you from Planned Parenthood, the National League of Nursing, uh, now Organon. There's a pretty clear theme emerging here um, about really improving the lives of women and women's health. Um, do you want to maybe just talk a little bit about sort of your mission and how that became such a pivotal part of your career. Yeah, I really appreciate your asking. Um, this is something that I have a lot of heart for, so hopefully I won't go on too long. But, you know, it really all started in college. I majored in both history and women's studies, and it was kind of the early days of women's studies. I ended up getting a master's degree also in women's history. So definitely digging deep into the whole area of women and really focusing on their equality and issues that affected them. And so, you know, when you look across the spectrum, you think, okay, you know, there are obviously gender equity issues around pay and other issues. But one of the things that really intrigued me was the issue around health and the fact that women are so misunderstood, their health is so misunderstood, misguided, misdiagnosed, um, ignored. And, you know, through the course of my career, that's really been a huge passion point for me. Um, clearly getting into Planned Parenthood so young in my career, working on so many different um, areas of um, all kinds of women's health issues, but obviously issues around family planning, bringing some new technologies to the market, fighting and focusing on women and their health um, really was a starting point for me. But it really started way back in college when I was actually also on a, on a mission around women and really, you know, pay equity and things along those lines. Now, I, I just have to ask, have we have we made improvement in that time? Like, you know, has, has progress been made? I've, I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, I look at my daughter as sort of the litmus for that. You know, I have a daughter in her 20s. Um, so, yes, I mean, we've, there's definitely been progress. Is it more limited sometimes than I would like? I think, you know, when I look at daughter and her generation, I mean, I love the way they're so courageous and forceful and push for themselves. And this is things, these are things that women of my generation probably weren't as good at. When I look at health, I mean, think one of the things that really, you know, kind of concerns me is the fact that we're still talking about the same thing now, 10 years ago, that I was talking about 10 years ago, and even 20 years ago, Planned Parenthood, the unintended pregnancy rate and other things, and, you know, endometriosis, areas where there really aren't solved yet. And I think, you know, now is the time where we're seeing the women's health community really come together. We're seeing a lot of companies step in. I'm sure you're seeing this in your day to day. 
I feel like we're really on the cusp of a watershed moment here. Well, and, and I, I appreciate the reference to your daughter and her generation, right? Many, um, many younger people today have this idea of merging sort of their passion and purpose with their career. Um, a lot of them are not necessarily able to figure that out, right? How do you, how do you chart that course? You, um, you started here in this place. You've, you've now taken the top job in a, a publicly traded company. So you kind of hit that, you know, that trifecta of your, your passion, your purpose, your career. Um, any advice for, but maybe your daughter's generation, aspiring leaders who want to sort of make a successful living in the area they're, they're purposeful or passionate about? Yeah, so in the spirit of being a PR professional, I'll just use our P's a little bit. So it's really, really hard for me to untangle as I've gone through life, my passion for my performance as, a, as you know, sort of how I deliver results from my purpose. And I think it's what's kept me going. I remember early days, you know, even seeing something like Erin Brockovich and how she came forward and said, well, of course I take it personally. It's what I care about. It's my passion. And it always stuck with me and a number of my other colleagues. It's, you know, an older movie, but it, you know, really sort of me, it wasn't a defining moment, but it, it definitely made me feel legitimate <laughs> in feeling that way. And so that's really what I've always advised my children and my children's friends and other young people that I've come into contact with over the course of many careers, especially on the agency side where I worked with so many young people, which is you don't have to uncouple these things. You can have a purpose, you can feel passionate, and you can still have a very high performing career um, if that's what you want. And so that's the advice I give to people all the time. Don't back down off the things you care about. Don't shy away from the things you love to do. Bring it together for yourself. That's great advice. And and you are bringing it together for yourself at Organon now. Um, it's August 2022. Can't believe it's already August. But so that means you're, the company Organon has been around for roughly two years, um, is, is billed as being the only global women's health company of its kind. And yet some people listening may not know what Organon is. So, so could you maybe talk a little bit about the company and, and how it was spun off and what it is today? Yeah, so thanks. We, we launched a little over a year ago in June of June 2021 in the middle of the pandemic. So one of those few companies that launched in the middle of the pandemic. And um, it was an incredible labor of love for so many people that predated me, but that went on to give me this incredible opportunity of head of communications to bring a team together and focus on how do we build a brand? How do we support and work on building a culture? How do we work on all these products You know, from day one? And I think the thing that brought us all together was our vision, which is to be a better and healthier every day for every woman. Um, we, we took a step back in the early days, you know, like February of 2021. And we said, let's just take a step back here and find out, like, how are people feeling? Let's talk to stakeholders. And we one of the things I think that was arresting for us was to hear women talk about their experience during COVID and how exhausted they were and that they felt that there was a lot of talking going on, but not a lot of listening. And we were like, a light bulb went on, right? Of course, you know, uh, the pharmaceutical industry rarely engages on listening. It's usually in a lot of talk or, you know, sort of like trying to engage, but obviously doing it in a highly regulated way. And so we said, let's just take a step back and listen and let's talk to women. So the day we launched, we actually, you know, ripped off the bandaid and said to women all over the world, because, you know, we're global, we're in 140 markets, which is 
incredible to be able to get sort of that diverse uh, viewpoint, perspective and activation around the world. And what we said to women was come talk to us about what is the greatest unmet need in women's health. And we struck such a chord. We had um, our tagline is here for her health. And we had people come to a, what, like a microsite that we set up called hereforhealth.com. Thousands of women came to the site and basically said one or two words. There was not a lot of verbiage involved. And we were just so thrilled to be able to almost act like a research think tank by getting all this information. And now we're in the middle of acting on that. That's great. And it's interesting here for her health. You know, most pharmaceutical companies focus primarily on doctors, right? And and you have choicefully from the beginning said you're here for her. And of course, that could mean a doctor, but for the most part, it sounds like it means the patient. Is that right? Well, it when we say for her health, we're speaking to all audiences. So it's really trying to be the centerpiece of a rallying call that you know brings everyone together. So while we had a very consumer focused orientation in the very beginning, which was let's go out and talk to women, let's hear from women, let's have the voice that they have not had for many years around their health. You know, and then later on down the road, when we look at this year, June 2, 2022, we focused on our ESG approach around finding that promise and bringing up that woman's promise through her health. So we've definitely been on trajectory there, but we definitely see physicians and other HCPs as her partner um, we know that in the women's health space that, you know, OBGYNs are very much see themselves as her partner. And there are other, you know, providers as well in the space as well. And, you know, there are many advocates and others who have come forth and, you know, wanted to partner with us and we've wanted to partner with them. So it really has been a collective effort with various stakeholders, but we definitely see the healthcare provider as a major force in this whole effort. Now, in, in the list of things that you mentioned on Here for Her Health, I did not hear you mention the podcast, but you do have a podcast uh, where you speak on the top, topic of women's health. Obviously, we're big podcast fans. What has your experience been like? I love working on our podcast. I love it because I get to bring all these diverse, incredible people in and hear their points of view and share those points of view. And I really try to take more of a listening role in being the facilitator for the podcast versus kind of stating my point of view and, you know, sort of like really giving people a voice. And I've gotten such incredible feedback, you know, that has come in to me personally, as well as through LinkedIn, um, to our people that are on the podcast. And we've gotten feedback that it's also been at a very high level, like, you know, listen to podcasts in terms of there are not that many women's health podcasts out there. Most of, most of them focus on wellness and, you know, things along the lines of yoga and eating and, you know, how to, how to stay healthy. But these, this podcast brings in so many different voices, you know, from sexual wellness to um, last week we had our chief, uh, our head of uh, R&D on and, and she, you know, Office of Research and Development, and she was fantastic talking about what innovation means in the women's health space, which is very different than what it means in, you know, the oncology space or other spaces. And um, the list kind of goes on and on. I've had a number of advocates on as well, um, business owners, um, startups. So really, uh, I had someone in from Maven, our chief, the chief medical officer there. So I've had a lot of diverse voices, and they've all been fantastic. 
Well, what I really liked about the way you, you even framed that, you started with listening, right? A, a consistent theme here, right? In terms of the Here for Her Health platform and listening. But then you also described your role as a facilitator. And it's that's something that um, Gerilyn Green, CCO at, at Yum, um, actually, when she was on this show um, about a year ago, she described the, the new role of the chief communications officer as being a curator for conversations, which I just thought was so poignant. And then hearing you describe it as a facilitator feels very aligned with that. Um, we're obviously, we're in an era where chief communications officers have a much larger seat at the executive table. And the pandemic accelerated that, all of the shift in how we talk to employees and stakeholder groups and the role of ESG and everything has really sort of accelerated um, CCOs having a larger seat at the table. Um, I, I just would, would love to hear your thoughts in terms of how are communications leaders taking advantage of that seat at the table? How are they driving more influence in larger company directives? Yeah, this is like the perfect timing for this question, because as you know, we just came together for the Fierce Pharma Communications and PR Summit. And this was a big topic. When we opened the meeting, we had two chief executive officers, two CEOs talk about the role of their CEOs and how they see them at the table. And both of them said, I would not have it any other way, but to have them on my executive team. And I mean, it's amazing to be at this point in my career and just see how much value our profession has gained over the course of 20, 25 years. I love hearing CEOs talk like that because I know earlier in my career, I felt like I was constantly convincing the comms clients that I had to have more of a voice with their, you know, marketing clients internally as well as, you know, with their with their senior executives. I think, you know, we're in a really interesting inflection point right now as communications people. I agree that yes, we are, I love that, curators for conversation, but I also think we're strategic business drivers. And we should never underestimate the role we can play. I think COVID really expedited that. And, you know, we have a couple choices right now, right? We could fade back into the woodwork and kind of just be available to do all the things we're supposed to do as communicators, proactively communicating, doing all the issues management, great. Or we can do what I think we should do, which is really be at the table, focusing on strategic business. And we could be at the head of that table, right? We don't have to just be sitting at that table because I think people really look to us to look around corners, to see things that we may never, that others may not see, to anticipate issues, anticipate opportunities, and to really be partners with senior leadership teams. So I think we're in a tremendously important place right now. We need to seize the ring though. It's not just gonna be handed to us, we need to seize it. We need to be able to show metrics also and how we're doing against those metrics and measurement and other things that really continue to build our presence and reputation in the C-suite. Now, I have to ask, do you have the silver bullet? Have you figured it out? What's the answer to measuring the value of PR? Well, I'm going to throw that back to you and say, as an amazing agency, I'm hoping you guys can figure that out. But <laughs> I do think- We're working you know, on it, Wendy. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it really is worthy. I mean, it's a conversation that we've all had and we've heard from major publications about this as well. And I mean, there is no magic bullet per se. I think as we, you know, sit for closer and closer and closer- to senior leaders and really understand what their strategies are and kind of engage that way, I think we'll be in a better position to create metrics that we can actually measure. 
But I think it's like a problem that goes across the industry. And I think if this is something we could solve together, because I don't think anyone benefits over another about competing against this issue. It's really about how we come together and show, show the value and worth of what we do. I think people generally accept that, but it would be amazing as a next step if we could figure out how to really quantify that. And I think that um, the idea of doing it collaboratively, bringing together, you know, different uh, different companies, vendors, agencies, clients, et cetera, would be, I think that's a really smart idea. Um, you know, you've obviously been, you've had the top job uh, agency side, right? Running GCI. You've had the top job client side now as chief communications officer. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of the either the mindsets or the perspectives or the capabilities that talent of the future is going to need people in our industry whether you want to go either of those paths right like what is the what do you, what are the the mindsets or the 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 perspectives that people should embrace do you think that is such a fantastic question and you know one that i would love to sit down with a number of 20 something early 30 somethings and talk more about I don't, I think the principles have not changed. I mean, clearly being on top of what's happening in, in you know, communications and how there are so many resources and tools we can take advantage of and how do we best make them effective for us in the healthcare space, given how regulated our industry is and, and never stopping, right? Like it's so easy to just kind of get stopped at the door and say, you know, I can't go in. But like, no, we have to go in and we have to try new things. And even if we're a couple of years behind other industries, so be it, let's learn from them. And I think that's something you've done a phenomenal job of. But I think there's general principles that just exist in the world to be successful. The whole idea of collaboration, the whole idea of listening, the whole idea of being kind to people and, you know, assuming the best versus assuming the worst. Um, the idea of pulling the best out of people. Everybody's got a, like a positive within them that people can take advantage of. That was something uh, one of my old bosses many years ago, Planned Parenthood told me that she always did. Um, looking for you know, strategy, I think it, strategy is becoming obsolete to some people. We have to remember that you know, being tactical, coming up with content, this is all great, but if it doesn't tie back to a strategy, then it doesn't really have the right landing pad. So I think that's another thing that you know, we need to, as, as young people come through the system, um, make sure that they're thinking about like, what is that strategy? What's the insight leading to that strategy, et cetera, et cetera. And not letting that get lost in favor of ex good execution. It's a, it's a really interesting point And one that we have grappled with a lot, you know, at, at Lippy Taylor. And as I've observed people coming up through other agencies in particular is as the role of, of, of dedicated strategists gets pulled apart from the person that runs the client's business you know, is there, is, is strategy, um, is it losing its seat almost? Is it becoming less central to how work gets done if it's just a person who gets brought in every now and then? Um, but I, I don't know what your thoughts are about that and whether, you know, strategy belongs sort of baked into the role of the person running the client's business versus, you know, having a separate strategist who comes in. So my belief is that having these specialists who come in who can really help people double down on strategy and creative is really important. But I don't think people should lose the art of what a strategy is. And on that note, creative. And on that note, innovation. Every 
person who works in our industry, whether they're, you know, doubling down and just focusing on one thing or doing broad client work or something else should, you know, really focus on early in their career, how to understand what a strategy is and, and how to attain that strategy, how to push themselves to be as creative as possible. So they're not falling back on the same idea over and over again, and how to take themselves to new levels of thinking in terms of being innovative and in some ways transformative. I, I think regardless of who you are, ignoring those things takes away from the experience that we go through. And while I can't say that I'm, you know, as much of this as somebody else who I know, right? At least I know that across those three or four things, I will push myself. And I think that's part of it, like in our industry and the way things have been going, you know, with COVID and just sort of bringing up a new generation and a new flock, we have to continue to push ourselves and to push our folks to be as strategic and innovative and creative as possible. Because I actually think at the end of the day, it makes people feel really good to see their thinking and their ideas and change come to life that they took part in. I know for me, that made probably one of the exciting parts of my career have been seeing those things happen. Yep, absolutely. And in particular, when we all struggle with explaining around the Thanksgiving table what it is we do for a living, exactly. having something you can show them makes it so much easier and more fulfilling. Well, and at the end of the day, sitting in front of any client, right, no matter who is on your team sitting with that client, I think you want to be able to show these basic, this basic knowledge of what we like, what drives our business, right? So I think it's really important. So I know we're coming up on on our time here. There's one one final topic I really want to bring up, though, and it sort of intersects the two big themes of the conversation so far, with the first being you as a champion for women, the second being really just, you know, insights about the communications landscape. Um, so women in leadership in the communications industry, obviously also something that you've um, really, I mean, played a, a large role in, right, helping be one of the founding members of this equality um, movement, building a very you know successful um, leadership team of women at GCI. Um, you have obviously a big leadership team now uh, with a lot of women, you know, running things at Organon. Um, one of the topics that comes up a lot when talking about women in leadership is about mentorship. It is about like sending the ladder back down, right? Um, and when we hear women oftentimes at Lippy Taylor say, you know, they want female mentorship specifically. Um, but it's really hard, like, to just sort of mash that up, you know, like without it being organic and developing naturally, like, how do you make that happen? How do you, how do you either create the environment for that? Or how would you encourage other women to go about finding that kind of mentorship? Just curious your thoughts on this. I think we need to be very deliberate on this. I think we've lost the art of mentorship in some ways through COVID because we're not in person with each other anymore. And I did some soul searching on this a couple of weeks ago and was thinking to myself, am I doing enough to mentor people? Because it doesn't necessarily have to be people in your organization. I could go back over the course of the last 20, 25 years and think of 10 to 15 women that I would love to like stay in touch with and, and help mentor them through their careers, whether they're at the early part of their career or the later part of their careers. And that's, that's another piece of it, which also was like an aha for me because like through my career, I feel like I've had a couple of good mentors, but at the end of the day, I feel like my dad's been my mentor and that's either good, bad or ugly. I'm not quite sure which, 
But I think it's really important for women to seek out mentors. I really do. And I think, you know, many years ago, women would do this and they would stay in close touch with those mentors and they would really thrive. And I think we've lost some of that magic. And I don't think it matters how old you are, how young, how old, a mentor is going to help. And I think we all, we need to get back to this. And I think it needs to also be sort of structured and probably made, you know, kind of whole again on wherever we are to make sure, because I think it's been replaced by this idea of the coach. And I think the coach and the mentor are two, two very different things. So Wendy, we've talked a lot about um, different ways that you might advise future generations, including your daughter and her peer set, as well as, um, you know, aspiring leaders in our industry. I'm wondering if you were to think back about advice you would give to yourself, right? Maybe 10 years ago. So you're mid, you're midway through your career, you're gunning for that top job, you know, but you haven't gotten there yet. Like what would be the advice you would give yourself, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, now that you have hindsight is 2020. The advice I'd give myself and I would give other women and I have given other women recently as well is to go for it, to not stop yourself mid thought and say, okay, here are all the things I need to do to get there. Or maybe I'll go to this person and that, then I'll go to this person or wait, no, I'm just not going to think about this because I'm not worthy or I don't have enough experience or blah, blah, blah. I know that most people and women think about things like all the time. And I think women stop themselves a lot with all these reasons that they should or shouldn't do something. And I think it's just about putting that kind of thinking to the side, don't overthink things and just go for it. And the result is going to be pretty incredible, I think, if you do that. It's such an interesting point, because as I'm sure you all know, there's studies that have been done about the the sort of confidence and competence disparity with men and women. And, and men oftentimes do exert more confidence whether or not they have the competence. And um, so your advice, go for it, have the confidence, I think is well taken. So thank you, Wendy. We really appreciate your time um, and your insights here today. Thank you. It was great to be with you. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Wendy. Number one, listen. When they were launching, Organon initiated a comprehensive listening tour where they spoke to women everywhere about their unmet healthcare needs. This is rare for healthcare companies who mostly focus on doctors, but Organon's mission is to serve their female patient base as intently as possible, which is why they focused on listening from the very day they launched in 140 markets, and then they made major decisions based on what they found out. Number two, take it personally. Wendy cites the movie and true story of Erin Brockovich as inspiring her approach to bridging her passion with her profession. There's a line where Erin is told that she's taking things too personally, to which she replies, not personal, that is my time, my sweat, and my time away from my kids. If that's not personal, I don't know what is. This stuck with Wendy and inspired her approach to her work. Wendy takes her work personally because she takes the mission of helping women across the world personally. Taking it personally has made the difference in pushing through difficulties and complications because for Wendy, it's a matter of mission. It's cliche, but when your heart is in something, you will naturally work harder and move mountains to achieve it. Finding and better yet, creating those causes and missions within your career will make all the difference towards your overall impact. Number three, just go for it. 
Wendy cites a tendency for a lot of young professionals to wait for the perfect moment to take the leap, be more ambitious, take on bigger projects, etc. Wendy's advice, just go for it. Regardless of your perceived credentials or qualifications, taking big projects on headfirst, regardless of feeling ready, can actually be the very catalyst that gives you those qualifications that you want. Anyway, guys, thank you as all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And if you want to learn more about our agency, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.